many of them believe, uh, especially those who are in the uh, police, in the military, in all of the uh, military structured uh, forces, is that they're invading to free Ukraine uh, from Nazis and um, nationalists, especially uh, targeted towards the Russian population. I have lived there myself for 19 years uh, before I came uh, to study in the US. All my families grew up in Ukraine. All of my friends uh, have exact same background and exact same thoughts is that uh, probably saying again how hospitable our culture is. I don't see anybody meeting you on the street and discriminating you because of your language. June 26, 1963, U.S. President John F. Kennedy stood in front of the Berlin Wall, which separated Berlin into two separate factions, and he gave one of the most iconic speeches of his presidency. Immediately following World War II, the city of Berlin was divided into West Berlin, comprised of American, British, and French-administered democratic enclaves, and East Berlin, an East German communist-controlled area controlled and cut off from the world by the Soviet Union. In his speech, Kennedy assured the West Germans that free nations still stood by the people of the democratically controlled sectors of Berlin. And using the Berliner's own language, Kennedy concluded his speech with what became one of the most iconic phrases of this time in giving hope All to the people men, of Berlin. Wherever they may live, are citizens of Berlin. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words. Ich bin ein Berliner. Ich bin ein Berliner, meaning I am a Berliner. Kennedy finished his speech letting the people of West Berlin know that all of the free men and women across the world stood in solidarity with the people of Berlin and stood up for them against tyranny and against fascism and stood for their rights as free men and women. And in the same way, we're in a similar situation today with the people of Ukraine, standing up for them, for their freedom, and for their rights against a tyrant who seeks to take and infringe upon them. My guest today is a true citizen of Ukraine. His name is Yaro Natusko. He grew up in Ukraine before moving to the States for college and, and where he's still studying in Tennessee today. But his friends and his family still live in Ukraine and are being affected in real ways by what's happening in, with that war right now. And I talked to Yaro about what's happening on the ground, what his family, what his friends are seeing, and how the people of Ukraine are responding. Because if you've read anything about what's happening over there, it's incredibly saddening. But at the same time, it's incredibly inspiring. So Yaro and his brother are, are starting ways for people in the States and all across the world to donate and to, to give to the people of Ukraine to help out in this war against tyranny. They've started a website where you can see where your donation and your help in real time is helping someone in Ukraine. And I'll link that in the show notes and I would highly encourage you to check it out and consider donating to this cause. Because we think of the military crisis and the destruction of buildings and how awful that is. But at the same time, we need to be thinking of the humanitarian crisis and the people going without food and clean water and the, just the citizens who are innocent bystanders and happen to be collateral damage in, in Putin's war. And we need to be helping them. And I pray that you join us in prayer and you join us in helping the people of Ukraine. So without further ado, welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We hope you learn, we hope you grow, and we hope you apply it to your life and leadership. 
And here's my interview and my conversation with Yaro Natsusko. And as a free man, I am proud to say, Yao Ukrainians. I am a Ukrainian. Yaro, it's as we've been discussing uh, before we got on. It's very nice to meet you, but it's sad that I'm having to meet you under these current circumstances and the reason of our discussion today. But nevertheless, I'm I'm excited to get to talk to you and honored to meet you. But I want you to start by first just introducing yourself, kind of who are you? Tell your story, uh, where you grew up, how you grew up, and how you got over to the states. Okay. Yeah. Thank. Uh, uh, thank you very much for meeting me here. And I totally agree with you. Uh, the purpose of our meeting, of course, is uh, to discuss my story, uh, what I'm involved in, uh, in uh, how many communities back home in Ukraine. And of course, uh, both you and I wouldn't rather have uh, this meeting just because of these sad circumstances. I encounter myself and so many other Ukrainian families. So, I was born and raised in Ukraine. Uh, I finished uh, my high school in 2015. Then I got enrolled into American school in uh, early January, 2017. Those two years I spent on learning English uh, because what I realized after my high school graduation is that the level of my English wasn't enough for me to support my education here. So I spent two years uh, working full time and then uh, taking English exams. And just because of the consistent approaches and also uh, probably my personality and level of my English at the time, I had to take English exams of total 12 times because I couldn't pass them. Then uh, I got enrolled into a school, a small private uh, Christian school in uh, southern part uh, of uh, Virginia. I graduated in three and a half years. Uh, last semester was a study abroad program on Capitol Hill in DC. Uh, within three years of education, uh, got to spend uh, some time in uh, five to six uh, different states, uh, hunting for the best uh, job offers, for the best internships, and also comes from my personality to explore uh, and uh, challenge myself. and. Uh, with the help of probably the best uh, companies and internships, I, I got to do that. Uh, I'm right now in eastern part of Tennessee working on my MBA program. I'm already in a second semester. My graduation now is uh, May 2023. I'm also very active on campus. I'm a graduate assistant at one of the main key offices on campus. It's career services. So uh, similar to you, Zach, I'm a liaison uh, between two different offices, between uh, the world of employers and the world of students and uh, getting them connected to make sure that uh, students uh, can get the job of their dream. That's great. What school are you at in Tennessee for the MBA? East Tennessee State University. That's what I thought. That's great. Well, first of all, what's it like learning English? I've always heard from people who have come to the States and learned English that it's super difficult. What, what was the hardest part for you about learning English? Back to the story, how I was learning English is that I grew up learning English. Uh, since I was five, I already had an English tutor for two gotcha. hours a week. So for me, it was quite simple. Uh, to know how to read and how to write, but I was never exposed to 
uh, English environment, especially having conversations with uh, native English speakers. Yeah. So the hugest problem for me was is that once I graduated from high school, my tutor told me, hey, Yara, you're absolutely ready. Uh, we have covered all of the material. And there is one test. Uh, if you are coming from a uh, non-English uh, speaking country, it is either uh, TOEFL or IELTS. I took TOEFL. So it's graded uh, from zero to 120 points. And she said, hey, I see your results. You have improved a lot. At least you can shoot for 80 to 90. First time I took it, I was around 20 or 23 points. So gotcha. still so far away for me, at least to receive a scholarship at a university. And you know yourself, you finish school, you know that it's not cheap, especially in United States and especially yeah. with conversion rate from my Ukrainian currency to here, it would just make it impossible. And then yeah. I had to spend six years each single day. Uh, and I'm being very serious. I'm not exaggerating. It yeah. was six years of English every single day for me yeah. to boost my English, at least to the levels that I could uh, have some sort of uh, understanding and being in English environment. But then by the time I came to uh, United States to start my first semester, I would have lectures with professors every 15, 20 minutes. I had to leave the classroom because my, my head was just overloading with information. I still right. was in the process of receiving information and translating it uh, in my head uh, back to my native language so that I could absorb some and then translating back in English so that I could support a conversation. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. But your English sounds great. So well done. Yeah, it, it's pretty it, impressive. It was a long journey. Thank you, Zach. Yeah, I bet. Well, as, as many of our listeners know, and as you and I know, there's a war going on in Ukraine, in your home country. And, and it saddens I mean, every American's heart to see what's going on. But also have been incredibly inspired by the resolve of the Ukrainian people, led obviously by President Zelensky, who's been a profile encouraging. Talk about him and, and leadership, and as well. Um, but first, I want you—you you grew up there. It's it's your home. You have family there. What is it like in Ukraine? If I were to go there on a vacation tomorrow, what would you tell me to see? Where would you tell me to go? What would you tell me about Ukraine? Yes, it's a great uh, question, Zach. I would say first what I see in my culture and something, it is extremely hard to explore in different nations is the sense of family we have and sense mm -hmm. of hospitality. So mm -hmm. when you come, no matter where you're from, and that's how it always used to be in my house, is that our door is always open for people. No matter where you come from, no matter what your income, no matter what your race, uh, no matter what your background, you're always welcome in our house. If you have to stay for a day, yes, please do that. We have had friends who were experiencing some hardships. They stayed for several years and we covered all of the costs. So we're trying to help as many people as we can. And that probably expands more uh, to what I'm involved now. And when you come to Ukraine is that you will find that sense of hospitality, not just from my family, but from people you encounter every day, very warm people, uh, that kind of people who are ready to give you hugs and you will also feel warm. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell that by, by the news we're seeing and, and I'd love to visit one day. It's, and it's beautiful as well. What's the food like over there? Is it pretty good? 
It is. It, it is. It, it's uh, one of the biggest parts that uh, I probably struggle uh, domestically here in the United States. Part of that is the quality of products. Part of that is that the ability our moms, Ukrainian moms, can cook. Nobody else can cook. You and, think so? You think Ukrainian moms are better than the rest? Uh, I will be a little bit biased. Of course. Uh, because that's where I came from. But I have also been some parts of our family dinners here in the U.S. in the last five years. And I can say uh, the amount of love our mothers in Ukraine put into food and effort, uh, it, it just stands out. Mm, that's incredible. I love being able to hear that. So g- give us a little bit of the history behind uh, the conflict that's happening. Obviously, over the last few months, we saw Russian build up on the border of Ukraine and people were skeptical about what would happen, when would happen. Um, but what what is the point of, of Russia invading Ukraine? Why is this happening? Why now? And what, what's going on over there? Okay. Uh, it's a big question, so I will try to answer it step by step. And if I miss any uh, of your parts of your question, please interrupt me. Of course. Uh, everything starts from a recent concentration of military uh, on Ukrainian borders, uh, and not just one side of a border, but also uh, northern that's very close to uh, Kiev, then eastern that's very close to Kharkiv, that's the city that's uh, getting bombs the most right now currently. Uh, including all of its residential areas. And then southern part, which is Crimea, which is a state that was annexed uh, by Russia. Uh, That military concentration led Russia to invade uh, immediately and uh, without any signal that the invasion was coming. And the day before I was, uh, before the war started, uh, I'm still very connected to my family. So we, we do spend time on the phone every day. And I was uh, talking to my older brother because he's very uh, heavily involved into business operations of his business. So uh, he has a very big network of who he talks to. And I talked to him. He said, we're not getting distracted. We don't let that concentration distract us because we have plenty of work to do. And that is to say that he's not ignorant. That is to say that nobody expected it. Mm-hmm. So that means that at a time, at one point of time, we already had missiles flying all over our houses and 100,000 troops uh, and 100,000 between 150,000 just tapping in, uh, crossing our borders at a time. And there is actually a very funny story about it is that uh, how people feel like being in Ukraine is that my family uh, woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning, just like any other family across Ukraine, because that's when bombing started, 5 a.m. They woke up because the missiles were flying right across my house, and those missiles were targeted at a warehouse that sort of made a drive away from my house. That was a base camp. The warehouse uh, is the one that uh, had a storage uh, with ammunition. So they targeted that warehouse, and they set it on fire. And if you do that, then you have to evacuate all the region uh, within uh, 20 to 30 mile uh, radius from that warehouse. So my family had to leave at 5 a.m. And then uh, at my house, it's my family and my dog. So they had to take a dog with themselves, of course. So they just relocated to a, a house in the same city uh, to stay with the relatives. Yeah. And and not a lot of people knew that we had a, a dog. It's a husky and it howls. Every day it just howls. Uh, and 
it came to the point is that uh, there were already some airstrike uh, sirens in the city, and they do happen every day now for several hours. Yeah. And one of those times, the dog was uh, howling, and then all of the relatives in the house just started hustling back to the basement to hide from the bombing because that's the safest place you could go in your basement. And my mom started laughing. No, hold on. That's just our house, kid. Eight house. <laughs> that's funny. And it, it is funny uh, because, of, of course, we, we at least need to have some sense of humor about it. Of course, yeah. But what is very sad and it is to see how much fear people have is that when they feel less threat, even when Husky mm. howls, they just rush mm. to the basement. And that is the reality now, every day. Uh, my mom, two days ago, uh, it was already two uh, airstrike serenes that day for several hours. And there was a new one at 9 a.m. And my family, of course, just like many others, they're uh, mentally and physically exhausted. It was yeah. 9 p.m., not too late. There was a new strike. Uh, relative came to my mom's bedroom, said, hey, it's a new serene. We have to go to the basement. My mom said, I'm not going anywhere. Mm. I'm not going anywhere until one bomb just flies over here because of the exhaustion they have. Yeah. It, uh, it's heartbreaking to hear stories like that and, and so many others. Um, oh, I just, I can't even imagine. But what is it like? Is your family, are they safe? Are they staying in Ukraine? Because we, we've heard of the refugee crisis of people going to Poland and other countries, but it sounds like your family is staying where they are. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it, it, it is uh, correct. Uh, my family is staying with relatives now because my grandparents are disabled. My grandpa has a cancer. It does not evolve, but it's still in his body. He is 84 years old. Uh, last year, he wanted to take the trash out uh, to the dumpster, which is probably within five, 600 feet from the house. So not too far. It's maybe five minute walk back and forth. Yeah. He barely made it back. He, and we just asked him, hey, please don't do it again, because he his energy is not it used to be like for me and for you and my yeah. grandma. She had a stroke uh, and never recovered. So she's half paralyzed. So that means that she needs a uh, constant assistance. So yeah. they can leave, they can go. So they're staying where they are now. So all of your family, are, their plan is to stay in Ukraine and stick it out through, through thick and thin, through everything that's happening? Yeah, that part of the family, yes. Also, my brother is uh, from Kharkiv. Uh, that's back to the story that the city is getting bombed uh, the most. Uh, the first day of war, he had to leave the city, of course, for safety reasons. The furthest he could go is just two hours away from the city. And that's where he stayed until uh, last uh, day or two. And right now, when uh, he had to leave the area because the bombing just started expanding, uh, he uh, had to uh, travel to another part of Ukraine, more Western part. He still will not cross the border just because he wants to stay uh, with the family here. Right. So other part of the family is located within 10 hour drive from that city where he used to be to the city where the family is. And that drive took him two full days. Mm. That is just to say how infrastructure is damaged and how yeah. much threats right now uh, there is on the road because right now with the Russian army 
there is no consideration whether you are an armed military or you are a military tank uh, invading the area, or you're just a regular resident, uh, Ukrainian national uh, driving uh, away with your family. So they're targeting everybody. And that's what's really perking up the ears of the international community and causing some outrage is that there is no discretion between military targets and civilian targets. And, and obviously we don't want them attacking military targets at all. But when you start attacking citizens and just civilians that are just trying to live their lives, that's when it takes it a step far too far. But wh- what is the purpose? What does Russia have to gain from this incursion? And, and I mean, what are they hoping to get? Because they're just destroying everything in their path, whether it's people or infrastructure. But, but why? What What is their end game? Uh, the simplest way to explain their invasion is madness. Uh, mm-hmm. The second best way going um, more into details is to say how much of disinformation they have and how much of uh, government-sponsored uh, media outlets they have in order to spread the propaganda. Right now, with the amount of information and so many people just like you, Zach, uh, stepping in and delivering the right message from uh, witnesses uh, being in Ukraine and Ukrainian families is a Russian nation starts to see more and more uh, where they invading and for what reason. And there are so many interviews now of Russian captured soldiers is that uh, going back to the concentrations that you noticed of 100,000 uh, people before the war started, according to all of the captured Russian soldiers, the reason they were there is for uh, trainings uh, at a base yeah. camp. Now they gave them an order to pass the border. And now they just pass the law is that if you uh, disobey the law, if you disobey the order, that's 15 years of prison. Mm. For military? So now, yeah, yeah. So now you're right on the border between Ukraine and Russia. Do you want to face a uh, very courageous Ukrainian army and people? Yeah. Or you want to receive 15 years of prison. So people just don't have an option. And of course, that comes from a Russian government. Yeah. That's why of them, they keep going. Many of them believe, uh, especially those who are in the uh, police, in the military, in all of the uh, military structured uh, forces, is that they're invading to free Ukraine uh, from Nazis and um, nationalists, especially uh, targeted towards the Russian population. I have lived there myself for 19 years uh, before I came uh, to study in the US. All my families grew up in Ukraine. All of my friends uh, have exact same background and exact same thoughts is that uh, probably saying again how hospitable our culture is, I don't see anybody meeting you on a street and discriminating you because of your language. Uh, my national language is Ukrainian. I'm mostly uh, spoken language where I am and where I grew up is Russian. Was never even received some looks from the people that I didn't speak the Ukrainian language. So it just a huge amount of propaganda uh, in order probably to uh, to concentrate as much military as possible because 
I don't find any other explanation why you and it's in an ulterior, where US and bombing unit have to target schools, uh, hospitals, orphanages, uh, nursing homes, and so on. Uh, yeah. That's what I've kind of read too is these, uh, obviously, if you see the videos of these Russian POWs of the prisoners of war that they've captured, they don't, they didn't fully understand why they were going into Ukraine. So when they get there, they're just pleading for mercy because they're just saying, we, we don't understand. And there's these just chilling phone calls of them calling their mothers back in Russia. And they're, the mothers are confused because they have heard that they're going to liberate uh, Ukraine from, like you said, Nazis that are, uh, have uh, infiltrated the government, which just isn't true, which is showing the control that the Russian government has over media and then over the minds of their people, that the people are just confused and whenever they can just completely lie to them why they're going. It, it, it's so, so sad uh, to see that reality playing out in, in Europe today. I, I mean, I just can't even imagine because Ukraine is a free place. It, it's a flowing and flourishing democracy. And it, I just, it's hard for the United States and people over here to understand why this would be happening. And, and as you can attest that it is a free country. It is not, I mean, the government of Ukraine is not full of, of Nazis or terrorists as Putin was, is trying to say. Yeah, and fun fact about it is that you also notice the amount of refugees fleeing to Western part of Europe. Mm. Ask how many people just because Russia is trying to free people out of Nazism uh, and fascism, how many of those people are going to Russia? How many of people right. are trying to cross the border to Russia just because Russia is trying to free them from aggression and oppression? I, 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 I don't see that happening. For some reason, yeah. people go to Romania, Moldavia, Poland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you don't see many people fleeing to Russia, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, so maybe that at least can tell people yeah. uh, who, re- who are residents of Russia. Yeah, and that's even the importance of free speech, uh, which we can be so grateful for is, I mean, speech is controlled in Russia. And, and so hopefully, when, and, and you see it happening, any people that start getting the whiff of the truth and protesting the war in Ukraine, they're immediately arrested. And who knows? I mean, Lord knows what happens to them at that point. Um, and that is, is very sad. And we can be very grateful for that freedom here in the States and then also I mean, in, in Ukraine. Um, but also there, there's been a, an emphasis lately on uh, the courage of the Ukrainian people and the Ukrainian uh, military. And there's some incredible stories being told of their courage and bravery in the face of so much danger and also being led by President uh, Voldemort Zelensky. And uh, who has turned turned into quite the profile in courage, staying in Kiev, staying in his office and, and communicating with the people. Is this something that y'all expected out of him or was this kind of a surprise? Because I know he has an interesting background, right? He is a comedian and actor and very famous person in Ukraine. What's kind of your take as a Ukraine? I, I don't know. I feel like the U.S. has kind of blown him up and, and he's pretty, he seems pretty awesome. But what is it like to see it as a Ukrainian citizen? Yeah. Answering your question, whether we expected it or not, uh, I don't want to say on behalf of every Ukrainian here because right. I, I might be just a little bit biased. So I will say about uh, probably more about myself and my family is that first of all, it's an absolutely a great presidential campaign when you launch a TV show 
how you become a president and how you fight the corruption that has been in Ukraine for generations now. Yeah. I have never seen it across the world. And I don't think that any president will have the ability to act and to speak like he did. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who, just to give context, for people who don't know, he was a star of a TV show about him being the president of Ukraine, like freeing people from corruption within the government. And then that led right into his presidential campaign, to which he was elected president of Ukraine. And so it's just kind of like the people already saw him as president on TV. And it was a very popular TV show, correct? Yes, absolutely. Every single Ukrainian watches that TV show. And the title is Servant of the People, right? Like yes. in the translation to English. So, I mean, the guy's brilliant for that move, but sorry, keep going. Yeah, so uh, back to the point is that his presidential campaign is absolutely brilliant. What he told himself is that he never planned that TV show to be his campaign. He never planned to be a president. And I could see how all of the previous presidents uh, turned to the uh, dark side of mm-hmm. enriching the industry of uh, government corruption. So I do see where he would uh, step in because from what we see now, how much the uh, sense of his own family and the sense of family uh, as uh, all of the all of the Ukra- Ukrainian uh, nation united, we do see right now how much he struggles and how much he uh, struggles in a way to bring uh, Ukraine out of. Uh, Russian occupation, yeah, I mean, struggles in a good way. He's trying to free uh, all of us from our Russian invaders. From what he's doing right now and how much he believes in Ukraine and all of the Ukrainian families, uh, no matter what background, whether you are a teacher or work in a hospital, you're a police or you're in the front line in the, in the military. It, I think what was the turning point for all of the Ukrainian to proudly say, this is our president and this is somebody who we were waiting for is when American president says that, hey, we will provide you an airplane uh, for you uh, to seek refuge in the United States. And he said, I'm not doing it. I will stay here. I will be here. I will be with my people. And he said that if I wasn't a president, I would have a gun right now in my hands. And I think this is where the courage we see of people. And I'm sure you probably have seen uh, some of the videos of people preparing the Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's really some joke here too, some sense of humor that uh, people are so hospitable is that they will provide you a cocktail. Like. <laughs> yeah. He united the whole country. Now yeah. everybody as a whole, everybody as one. And uh, I don't see any separation here uh, happening. I think people will uh, fight uh, until the end. Well, he did. He, he united the nation, of course. But I think more importantly, and not more importantly, but to that, he united the world around Ukraine and behind Ukraine. Uh, and his courage is, has really been inspiring. And then that trickling down to the courage of the Ukrainian mothers and the Ukrainian military and, and people on island, you know, just everyone, the courage has just inspired me and really has inspired me. I know my brother and I text all the time, just sending pictures of, of President Zelensky or, or articles from, uh, from things that are happening in Ukraine, just being like, I, 
I am incredibly inspired by the courage of of the Ukrainian people. But uh, give us kind of a, a pulse on, on the ground there. You mentioned it earlier, how just exhausted your mother is and uh, how just tired they are. What is it like on the ground in Ukraine right now? Is there hope? Is there optimism? Are, are people just scared? Are, are they just tired? Um, what, what can we be specifically praying for for the Ukrainian people right now? What I see right now across Ukraine, uh, people encounter uh, different losses every day. Some encounter uh, their family members going to war. Uh, some even encounter uh, little kids uh, being blown on bombs who uh, are mm. just several months old. And uh, that's where I see a lot of more countries uh, stepping in. Also in my family, where my city is, we are still capable of walking outside of our house uh, to get the groceries, at least so that there is some food to eat for the next several days in case invasion comes to our city. Again, because you cannot leave your home because uh, Russian army do doesn't tolerate whether you're a resident, a civilian, or you're in a, a military force. But also other parts of the family, such as where my uh, family is operating a shelter, it's completely devastated. Uh, if you have seen beautiful uh, skycrapers, uh, now it's uh, becoming more uh, flat as a field. This actually is the city that's giving bombs the most. I have been there uh, just two months ago. It was peaceful, quiet. I have been on the uh, largest square of Europe. Uh, a lot of people, uh, Christmas time, uh, so much joy you can see in people's eyes and happiness. Now, if you come to uh, that square, uh, you will see a lot of fear. Uh, so in that city, for example, if you go to the grocery store, all shelves are empty. And I'm being very serious about it, is that it's yeah. a large city, uh, it's called Kharkiv. It's a city of between one and two million uh, people population. It's a large city, uh, large enough to feed the people. But now, after the bombing, you can come to the store, it will be empty. And I think that's where, uh, where we can pray that I'm a little afraid to say that, and I don't want it to happen, is that some people lose faith. And I would love us to uh, focus our hearts on that because uh, in Bible it says, after you have uh, suffered for a while, I will restore you and make you stronger. And mm -hmm. that's what I want them to know. Mm. I, uh... Yeah, that's, in, that's incredible. Because I think a lot of times we think about the military crisis, we need to be sending military aid from the states to, to Ukraine to help. But I think almost more importantly, there's a humanitarian crisis going on. Uh, if people can't eat, they cannot survive and can't see that. And that's part of Russian strategy to hold supply lines out from, from these people. But I mean, that verse encapsulates it all that the people of Ukraine and the people of the world are struggling right now with this, this problem. We're struggling with them um that's for a time and he will deliver and he will restore uh back to ukrainian greatness and and i can't wait to celebrate that day uh very soon i, I want you to talk about quickly like what not quickly what um what are you and your brother doing i saw a linkedin post that y'all are doing some nonprofit work trying to send food to ukrainian people how can people get involved with y'all and what are y'all doing um 
backstory to it. My brother is involved in leadership team of the largest supply chain company, uh, similar to Home Depot, but only on a, a wholesale basis of uh, construction and construction materials and tools. This is also one of the largest employers in Ukraine. As soon as the war broke out, the company used all of its resources to turn their warehouses into shelters. Their corporate office uh, for volunteers, their uh, corporate cafeteria into a food bank. Right now in a shelter, we have 150 people staying full-time. Another 150 people come uh, part-time to stay during the day and they still have a place for them uh, to live. Uh, which is, according to Bombin, there are not many places uh, left to live. And also, uh, this the cafeteria that still manages to feed uh, close to 1,500 people each day. So that includes three hot meals a day or uh, 3,500 meals a day right now we are expanding our basement level of a warehouse uh, with new ordered uh, construction frames to expand it for 100 uh, more Ukrainian uh, people because the bombing never stops. And uh, they, they do need uh, a place. And I think this is not only a place where we provide uh, humanitarian aid, but also this is the most devastated place where people can find some hope and some faith. How can, how can we get involved? Is there a way to donate? Uh, what can we do? Uh, yes, uh, the best way to uh, contribute now is to uh, contribute uh, financially and to reach as many communities as you can, whether your community is your family, your school, uh, your, uh, your team at your office, uh, your church, uh, because I believe that together we can do more and together we can help uh, more Ukrainian families. And to contribute financially, I have a list of what each donation does uh, for Ukrainian families. It's on a website, it's uh, always updated. And also on our website, uh, we started a blog just yesterday. It has already has four posts uh, as a report about uh, what we do and how each donation helps. So it's a smaller article uh, with some photos and videos uh, so that uh, people can see how much not only American families dedicated and they see the struggle Ukrainian families are going through, but also how much of the relief Ukrainian families have. So uh, that's for Ukrainian families to really applaud to all American uh, families that are supporting. Yeah, that's, that's so that's amazing. What, what is that website? So people can look it up and I can link it as well. Uh, should I pronounce it or send it to you? Uh, you can yeah, send it to me and I can I can link it here as well. So so anyone listening can go and, and hopefully contribute or help out in any way they can. Yes, yes, yes. I'll, I will send it to you.
Okay. Perfect. Well, Yara, thank you so much for, for your time and, and sharing uh, with me. I would love to end by just praying for Ukraine and, and for your family, if you don't mind. I can, yes, I can do yes. that. Please be great. All right. Well, let, let's pray. Father, we know that you are in control uh, of all things and that you are sovereign. Uh, but when times are hard and that there is struggle in, in any part of the world, uh, it is hard to see that. And I pray that we are reminded of your sovereignty and that you are uh, when things are out of control, that you know you have a reason. God, we pray and we lift up the Ukrainian people. Uh, we pray for the leadership of President Zelensky, uh, that you will give him courage uh, to lead. You will give him strength and you will give him energy to continue to press forward. And all of the people around him that are that have not been sleeping, have been tirelessly working. Uh, and the same goes for the military uh, of Ukraine that's been fighting back against these forces of evil. Uh, and then also to the Ukrainian people, the families, the mothers, the fathers, the sons and daughters in, in Ukraine that have, are, are fighting for freedom and fighting for their country and for what is right. Got to pray that the eyes of the Russian military will be open and they will see that this is a useless and a pointless war for a, a crazy uh, man and that this will come to an end soon. God, pray for Yarov's family, that you will keep them safe uh, in the next few weeks and months. God, give them strength. Uh, to persevere through through all of the struggle, but please, Lord, fit, uh, keep them physically safe wherever they are. We know that you are the protector and you're the provider. Uh, and as Yara said, I pray ultimately that the people of Ukraine do not lose their faith, uh, but they know and they trust you and that while they might be struggling for a little while, that you will deliver and that you will restore this country uh, back to greatness. God, we love you and we, we thank you for everything. Uh, God, be with the people of Ukraine. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach. That's yeah, very beautiful prayer. And it speaks to my heart because I also believe in miracles. And I know they're coming. And every day when I re read a report sent to me from brother who actively also works on donations in Ukraine, despite that he just left the area where it's getting bombs and moss, he's still on the phone every day. But the miracles, I see them going through our work that we do uh, in our shelter. I see how God is active in his work, and I see that works through people. Because when I read those reports, when I watch those photos and videos, uh, it makes me cry every day. Yeah. Well, we're, we're crying with you, and we want to help as much as we can. But thank you for sharing with us and telling your story. Uh, we're praying for your family and for the family that is Ukraine uh, daily. So we're with you. We're standing with you. We're praying with you. And thank you for sharing today. Glory to Ukraine and glory to the, to the heroes. Uh, yes, that's right. That, that's right, Zach. You are one step closer to be Ukrainian. That's right. That's all the people, all of the free world can stand up and say, I am a Ukrainian. That's, that's the goal. Yes, yes. Fun fact about it is that uh, when president says that I'm not fleeing the area, I will stay to where I belong. That's mm -hmm. also the day when I put a flag in my car and I sealed it with my sunroof. So every day when I drive, my flag just beautifully flows with the wind. The yellow and blue. Come on, baby. Yes. I love it. Well, I'm a Ukrainian uh, today and, and for the foreseeable future. Thanks, Yara. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Zach.